that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Now, our Father, we are thankful that we're able to gather here in safety and in freedom here in the middle of the week when many of your people in different parts of the world are suffering today. Some this very day have lost their life because they love and follow the Lord Jesus. So help us never to take for granted the freedoms that we have enjoyed, the peace that we have enjoyed to be able to share the gospel. May you continue to oversee our president, our vice president, our Congress. You've told us to pray for all who are in authority over us. Whether we like them or not, we are to earnestly pray for them that it might be well with us, that we might have peace in our nation, that we might have freedom to share the only one who can forgive sin and secure heaven. We ask tonight as we study your word, thank you that you open it up to every realm of life. You address family, you address the raising of children, finances, everything. And you are so kind as our creator and as our father to reveal these truths in the Holy Bible. So help us to apply our minds, to gird up our minds for action. As Peter tells us, not to let our thoughts drift, but to pay close attention. May you bless our time. Help me and strengthen me now, and I ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Okay, this is a course on biblical finances. We are entitled this course, Finances, God's Way. And we are now in section five where we are dealing with the subject of financial planning. There on page 120 of your handout, you can see uh, that we have basically uh, seven goals in this session this evening. Number one, to help us to understand the biblical basis for budgeting or planning, to consider what a budget can and cannot do for you, to recognize some myths and truths about budgeting, to survey the biblical basis for budgeting, to explore how a budget can make you a more effective steward, to discover three basic approaches to budgeting, and then to examine some practical steps uh, to begin to construct a budget. Now, by way of introduction, we've been examining what the Word of God teaches concerning stewardship. That was section one. Giving, that was section two. Saving, section three. Debt, section four. And now we want to consider planning, or what we might call budgeting. We have studied in the opening session on stewardship that God expects us to be a good manager of all that he places into our care, and now we will examine how a budget should reflect this. Uh, James tells us not just to hear, but to apply. Listen, prove yourselves, doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And here the word for man, by the way, is not the word anthropos, like a man or a woman, but it's the Greek word arnir, referring generically to a male. And we don't want to be like a male who looks at himself in the mirror. Because ladies, you know the way we look in the mirror and the way you look in the mirror is very far different. Sometimes I've gone out the door and my wife says, you've got shaving cream in your ear, and I didn't even know it. So we don't want to look in the mirror that way. Uh, and so it's not by accident that he uses that particular word. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Or once he's taken the course on finances and he's heard all that God said, he just forgot about it. It's kind of what we're talking about. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man 
will be blessed in what he does. So hopefully by now, you should have one completed the steward sheet. That was in section one. Evaluated your personal giving habits to see if they align with scripture and you have established a written plan for your giving. We covered that in section two. Third, hopefully you've established a strategy to start a contingency saving plan. We spoke about what that was. And you have a written a will found in an, identifi- an identifiable location. If they can't find your will, it's not much good. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I have done hundreds of funerals, and we've bumped into that before. I don't know where the will is. I don't know where the requests are, because I know he wanted certain things done at his funeral. They don't know, it's no good. And you've completed the important record sheet of all the critical financial information. Hopefully, if you have debts of any kind, you have identified each one and started a plan to become debt-free. That was section four. So really what we do in this section is it really pulls it all together. If you haven't done those things, you can do those things if you work through this entire section. And so let's begin by just asking a question, why a budget? So let's define some important terms to begin with, some important terms to start. In the broadest sense of the word, all of us have a budget. The real issue is what kind of a budget do we have? That's the bottom line. You have a budget, it's either a rotten one or a great one, it's either organized and planned or it's by the seat of your pants. Uh, So what kind of a budget do we have? The question is not, are we financial managers? The real question is, are we good or poor financial managers? I've tried to make the fill-ins just as short as possible, but at the end of this session, you will see you will have an opportunity to meet for free with a financial advisor, but they will not meet with you unless you have filled out the entire course. So I've tried to make it simple for you. If you've missed some sessions, uh, again, they are online at searchthescriptures.org. A budget, number three, is a written plan to help you to develop a strategy to save, to give, to invest, and to get totally out of debt. That's a great thought, to be totally out of debt. Small and large businesses have and operate by their annual budgets. Budgets uh, help Large companies, small businesses, various agencies, schools, and churches know where they are, what they need to accomplish, and where they can change to improve their financial standing. Budgets are usually required by boards of directors, shareholders, business owners, and banks that give business loans for the simple reason that having a budget makes good financial sense. Having a Christian budget makes good sense for individuals and for families, and it reflects sound biblical stewardship for which we will give an account. We spent a whole section, this opening section was stewardship and how God will someday evaluate, among other things, how we use the money he gave to us. I am using the term Christian budget because a budget produced by an unbeliever may reflect different priorities in terms of giving, saving, and debt. And by the way, I should say, when you borrow money for whatever cause, they're not thinking Christian most of the time, they're thinking secular. And so while they may approve you for a certain house, say, maybe because of the goals that you have and the way God has taught you to think, while the bank may approve you, God wouldn't approve the loan. And so those are important considerations. And again, a budget will help you in that. We have been learning in this course sound 
principles found in the Bible that can help you and your family become successful in money management. Unfortunately, when it comes to individuals or families having a budget, there is a great tendency to think it's just too much trouble or just not necessary, and as a result, many find themselves with financial problems. Many families find themselves in serious financial difficulties because they have no plan, which produces unwarranted stress, exhaustion, in some cases, anger. Now, some people doesn't bother. I mean, some people, they're just like so tangled and deep in debt and just doesn't seem to bother them. They sleep well at night and, you know, it's just, oh, who cares, you know, kind of thing. But for most people, it catches up with you and has great consequence. Sadly, a major factor for the failure of marriages today is financial. It used to be the number one cause of divorce. Now it's the second, number two cause, adultery being first. But the two are interwoven because so many families have adopted a worldly view of finances. They've created unnecessary stress in the home. Two people are angry with each other. Walls build up, and then they go to work, and they meet someone whom they don't live with. And the person is sweet and kind or flirtatious or whatever their program is. Before you know it, they have been unfaithful. The advantages to having a budget plan. What are the advantages to having a budget plan? Number one, a budget is written, is a written plan to help you to live within your means. And we've spent a lot of time on that, that God expects us to live within our means. A budget will help you to see where the money you manage comes from and where it goes. Sometimes people don't really have a handle on that. They do for a few things, but there's so much that's unaccounted for and therefore kind of lost. A budget is simply a plan for saving, giving, and spending money. Uh, One guy came into the office and he had gotten his figures together and he just didn't realize he was spending over $200 average a month just on eating out, which maybe for someone is nothing, but for him it was something because he could not really wisely justify that, and he was in a lot of debt. But he didn't know it. Oh, yeah, I didn't realize I was spending that much money on that. Budget is simply a plan for saving, giving, spending money. The plans of the diligent lead only to plenty, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 21.5, a budget is a map. You will hear that term M-A-P, capital A, capital, capital M, capital A, capital P. That's a financial term usually is referring to a money allocation plan. Uh, Financial planners will often use that. A budget is a map showing various sources of funds along with the allocation of said funds for giving, saving, and spending. As we will learn in this section, a good budget plan considers all the regular and important bills like rent or mortgage, utilities, food, gasoline, and insurance and allows for the unexpected or occasional expenses. When a family has a budget with the funds God entrusts, they already know how much will be set aside for giving, saving, meeting the bills, coming due, and how much is available for extras because they have a plan. Now, ignorance might be blissful, but it can also be expensive. 
And what you do not know can stress your family, ruin your testimony, and short-circuit your being entrusted by God with true riches that last for eternity. And again, this verse, I think this is the fourth time I've quoted it in the course. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, or you might render it worldly mammon or worldly riches, who will entrust the true riches to you? And we exegeted that whole passage, all 15 verses in the first section on stewardship. True riches, of course, being the things above that last for eternity. And so God makes a correlation through God the Son between laying up treasure in heaven and how you handle your money here on earth. A budget will very often help to solve financial disputes because prior to the expenditure of funds, there has been an agreed-upon plan for use. So your wife says, hey, let's go out to dinner tonight. And it's uh, July 15th. You say, well, you know, for entertainment, that's our entertainment uh, category, we've budgeted $75 a month, and we've already spent 60 So if we're going to be true to our budget, we can't spend more than 15 and we'll no doubt spend that tonight, and then we won't be able to go out to eat for the rest of the month. You sure you want to go? But you see, if you've come to an agreed-upon plan that you've worked through together, the arguments and the bickering just dissipates because you've agreed on these different categories and you've worked through them together. If you are married, a budget will help, will help you to communicate, because if you are serious about shared goals, then you must work as a team. You have to work as a team if you have a budget. A budget will help you to expose leaks in your financial planning, because you will be able to see where money is wasted or misspent. I mentioned that last week that when people bring in their budgets and we look at them, I don't do it anymore, I I can't physically, I don't have the time, but I did it for years when we were much smaller as a church, and I would say, yeah, look, here, this this insurance deductible is at 500, in light of the debt you have, you should make this 2,000, or today I might say, you've got this cell phone uh, plan for 190 bucks a month, and uh, why don't you get a flip phone for 30, because you have debt. You know, so you you begin to rethink and recraft your ideas. A budget will help you to set and achieve your goals while allowing you to take advantage of opportunities to give, save, spend, or invest. A budget will help you to save time and money at tax time. It's good stewardship. You're to render to Caesars the things that are Caesars, but you shouldn't render to Caesar more than you have to render to them. And if you uh, plan well, sometimes uh, it depends. I know a lot of Americans just fill out 1040 easy. They don't have to itemize. But if you itemize at all, a budget will be huge in terms of saving you time. 13, to live without a planned budget often leads to short-sighted decisions. To live without a planned budget leads to short-sighted decisions. You reason, my tithe is paid. My housing is covered, the refrigerator is full, so I can spend this extra right now. When in reality, it needs to be set aside for the biannual insurance bill or for the coming property tax bill. 
But again, when you have a budget, you're looking at not just weekly expenses, but those that come sometimes once a month, those that come quarterly, some that come biannually, some that come once a year. And you, you've got a whole plan where you are directing that money. Uh, 15, we just read that everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. And this kind of thinking is hasty. When someone jumps at a purchase without a plan and without thinking through the consequences. All right, let's talk about what a budget will not do. What a budget will not do. A budget will not solve your immediate problems because problems that took months or years to develop will not be solved overnight. Having a budget will not guarantee that you will use a budget. (laughs) You can have a budget, but if you don't use it, it doesn't mean much, does it? Having a budget will not eliminate all decision-making because budgets are made to be changed and adapted. You, the budget doesn't run you, you run the budget. And they are made to be adjusted and adapted. Budgets will not balance themselves. It takes a plan to make our funds stretch to meet all our obligations. This is where a Christian budget becomes a useful tool to receive God's blessings as wise financial stewards. And again, the reason our people won't sit down with you and work through a budget with you is if you've not read what the course is taught from God's word, then your budget's not gonna reflect biblical principles. And they don't want to try to, well, you know, have you thought about this? And when it was just neglect and laziness that someone didn't actually listen to the messages. So that's why it's important. Um, Through prayerful planning, it is possible to have a balanced budget and to have a reserve for unplanned expenses. Okay, let's ask another question. Is having a budget biblical? is having a budget biblical. So we've defined some terms. We've uh, talked about the advantages to a budget, what a budget will not do. Roman numeral two is a budget biblical. Living your your life wisely requires good planning. Living your life wisely requires good planning. Budgeting is 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 biblical because the idea of managing money wisely comes from the Bible which is filled with principles on sound money management. King Solomon, who God allotted a great amount of wisdom, he didn't always practice it, obviously, but God allotted him great wisdom because as a young man, he humbled himself before God had asked for it. King Solomon, whom God entrusted with great wisdom, wrote these words from Proverbs 27. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks, And attend to your herds, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountain are gathered in, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and for the nourishment of your maidservants. Now this description is not designed to make us all farmers, obviously. (laughs) But it's used because most people living in Israel in this day were in some kind of agriculture, such that this list here represents one riches and possessions. 
This list here represents one's riches and possessions. And this could have been true in America in 1880, where 90% of Americans were somehow associated with agriculture. That's all changed, obviously. We should work hard or be diligent to know the state of whatever God has given us management over. Because if you do not know the condition of something, then you can't effectively manage your plan. So there's great wisdom in these few verses here. A wise owner, for instance, would hire good and thoughtful shepherds who would watch over and care for their livestock. And so it was very important for every one of them to be accounted for and protected. And so for those in management positions, they should not leave all the supervision to those who work for them. But they too must be ever so faithful to supervise and oversee their business. So, for instance, Boaz, he had a lot of people working for him. It was just a verse that came to mind as I wrote that. He went down there into the fields of Bethlehem, and he was inspecting the job. And many a company that was strong went south because the owner or the president or the CEO didn't give it the attention they needed, the supervision they needed, and decisions were being made, and standards maybe were being lowered, and and the same could be applied to your home, that if supervision is not being given, we'll talk about this sometimes between a husband and a wife, where sometimes one person is making all the decisions, and there's no collaboration that takes place and it can lead to disaster. God is telling us to be diligent in our leadership and in our management because the future is uncertain and riches are not forever. God does not want us to neglect the interplay between our work and the management and nurture that our work produces. Case in point, the verses I just read, there's dozens of passages like that. The principle here is that if we take good care of what God has given us now, then what He has given us can provide for us in the future. That is, the lambs will provide clothing, the goats, milk, and so on. However, if we do not take care of what we have by wise planning, then what we have will not be able to provide for the food of your household. The principle here is that of a wise overseer, and this is important, because it is not always easy to wisely use and manage family assets, for it requires not only planning but self-discipline to stay within the budget. Again, as I mentioned last time, this is not a factor of rich or poor. Uh, Some of the wealthiest people in the world go broke every year. It will require wise leadership, probably involve putting off some purchases until later, or deciding against others entirely. A budget allows you to be diligent in knowing the state of your flocks because it directs where your money goes instead of wondering where it went. Christians who wisely and carefully manage their resources are successful in seeing God provide for their family's needs. And they, will, and they are able to watch God entrust true riches to them in the execution of his kingdom. Again, Jesus is talking about money. The Pharisees were in love with it. 
He reminded them that you cannot serve God and mammon, but if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? So there has to be some kind of oversight and planning and nurturing and supervision that you give to the funds. If you're just kind of doing it by the seat of your pants, it doesn't matter if it's your own. Look, the church budget. Every week, I have a printout of every single check that's written that week, every expense. They put it under my door on Friday night. And usually when I leave around 8 or 9 o'clock on Friday night, I'll read through that list. And if there's something, well, what is this for? And what exactly was the purpose? And why do we pay this vendor this amount? I want to know. You have to give that supervision. And like I say, I've seen a lot of churches, I've seen a lot of businesses that went south because of poor financial management. B, the character qualities of a leader requires good planning. The character qualities of a leader requires good planning. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, those, by the way, are two central passages that give the qualifications for an elder or a pastor. And when you hear the word elder, think pastor or bishop, because the word elder, pastor, bishop is used interchangeably in the New Testament of the same person, the same office. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, we discover the character qualities for an elder in the local church, qualities which God has called them to model to the people he's entrusted them to shepherd. Since the apostle Peter tells us that elders are to be examples to the flock, 1 Peter 5, 3, the clear inference is that these character qualities apply directly to all believers. So if we're to model, if Paul can say, follow me like I follow Christ, if the elder, the pastor is to be example to the flock, then he's supposed to be modeling things that you would want to emulate. Let's consider how some of the character qualities of an elder might relate to budgeting. We know that an elder is to be temperate. It's one of the qualifications, 1 Timothy 3, 2. He's, we know he's to be temperate. To be temperate, it's a Greek word that means to be moderate and not self-indulging. Having a budget can help God's people control their lifestyle and the management of the funds that he has entrusted to them. We also know that an elder is to be prudent, 1 Timothy 3, 2. And a prudent person is careful with his money. A prudent person thinks through the options and chooses the best one, and so a budget can be a helpful tool for a person to express prudence. God also tells us that a pastor is to be free from the love of money, 1 Timothy 3.3, 3. and a budget can allow a Christian to master their money because we will either master it or it will master us. Some people fall in love with money through the mismanagement of money. There's a hunger for greed that they build, and therefore a love for things, through debt instead of doing it God's way. A budget helps a person to focus, to focus on all the uses of their money in the areas of giving, saving, and spending. An elder, we're told in 1 Timothy 3, 5, is to manage his own household and certainly Finances are an important aspect of managing any household. When I've hired people for pastoral positions, I'll ask them, 
Based on Luke 16, 11, will you allow me to do a credit check? And if so, provide your social security number. I don't want to hire some guy who doesn't pay his bills. Failure to manage the money God has entrusted to us means that we have failed in at least one major dimension of managing our home. Paul says in that passage, if you remember, if, if a man can't manage his own home, then he should not manage the church of God. In other words, if he can't function in a limited realm, don't expand it. Don't give him more. A budget is one of the best tools we can use to manage our finances. An elder, the Bible says, is to have a good reputation with those outside the church. We're talking about unbelievers. An elder who does not pay his bills on time or constantly owes people money will only have a bad reputation with unbelievers. And again, an elder is the model what the people are to be. And so a member of Community Bible Church who does not pay his bills on time and constantly owes people money has a bad reputation with unbelievers and hurts the testimony of the church. A budget can help a person from making bad mistakes that could cost him his reputation as a believer. God tells us in Titus 1.7, that a pastor is not to be self-willed, meaning that he is focused on God's purposes and not simply his own. People who have money problems are usually focused on their money problems and not the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so a budget can free us up to keep our focus on God's kingdom. People with money problems are always dealing with their money problems. They're not thinking about winning their next-door neighbor to Christ or serving in the church because they're just consumed with money problems. Again, this is why leadership is supposed to model the ideal. An elder is not to be pugnacious, the Bible says, meaning a quarrelsome person. A budget has prevented many arguments in a home between a husband and wife because they have a plan for giving, spending, and saving. So you have, say, a, a clothing allowance, and your, your, you know, your wife wants to buy some new clothes, and she sees this dress for, I'm just pulling numbers out of the air, I don't know what they cost, $140, and you have $110 in the budget. You say, well, we're not quite there yet, so we'll let this go to the next month, and next month you'll have twice that. But you wait on God, and you don't spend money you don't yet have, and you live within your means. And then, oh, you discover, next month we can't buy it because we had an unplanned medical expense. So that's not the priority that maybe we thought it was going to be. So a budget really allows you to steer the monies that God has given you wisely, and it just gives you a plan. See, the judgment seat of Christ requires good planning. In the first section on stewardship, we learned that there is coming a time when God will evaluate our lives. We studied 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all, Paul says we, meaning him and all believers, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one will be recompensed for the deeds done in his body, whether good or bad. So there's coming a time of recompense in heaven, not to see if we go to heaven, we're saved by grace, but there is an evaluation for the believer in heaven. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. 
And of course, half of Christ's parables were on money, half of them. And so there is an interconnection between money and spirituality and true service for Christ. Jesus told us to lay up treasure in heaven and not simply treasure on earth. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Heavenly treasure is what Jesus referred to as true riches. And he related God's entrustment of true riches to us with the stewardship of our money. Luke 16, again, a whole passage we covered in the first section. A budget allows us to do the very best job as managers of God's finances. I do not believe that the average person can be as effective in the management of God's resources without a planned budget. So let's talk about Roman numeral three. What are some common myths about budgeting? Some common myths about budgeting. Point A, budgeting is painful and takes away all of my financial freedom. That's one common myth. Budgeting is painful and takes away all of my financial freedom. Initially, budgeting can be very uncomfortable for a while because change in and of itself can be uncomfortable. So if you've never had a budget and you've just been running the finances by the seat of your pants, this can be a real challenge. However, change becomes more manageable when it becomes a habit, and budgeting becomes a habit only if you stick with it. Whether or not you stick with your budget depends upon your motivation, and ultimately your motivation must come from the Bible. That's why the majority of this course has been exegeting passages from the Word of God. Now, we're just pulling it together to put it into shoe leather tonight through a budget plan. But, you know, there's a lot of financial people out there, some who are actually marrying biblical principles, not all of them, but there's no biblical substance to it. And that kind of thinking, while it may be true, oh, you want to get out of debt so you don't have to live like people who are in debt, that's a good thought. But if it's not rooted in Scripture, it doesn't produce life change. If your motivation is simply to get out of debt, say, or to please your spouse or to fend off the tax man, your budgeting efforts will probably fail. Without having your motivations rooted in Scripture, when you are tempted to increase your lifestyle beyond what God has for you or before God's timing, you will abandon your budget. Without having your motivations rooted in Scripture, you will abandon your budget. I said it twice. <laughs> However, if your motivations to budget are rooted in Scripture so that you might become a better steward, knowing that this is what God requires, then you will succeed. It is required of a steward, the Bible says, that one be found faithful in 1 Corinthians 4, 2. And the stewardship in 16... Luke 16 and verse 2, of course, deals with money. Eight, when we manage our money God's way and according to God's truth, then we find true freedom. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. James 1.25 echoes the same principle. Budgeting, second myth, requires long, boring hours and lots of paperwork. The worst part about the budget is not that it's difficult, because it is not, 
but the worst part for most people is simply getting started. And that's really the truth. It's just getting started. It's like riding a bicycle. It's a little difficult at first, but once you get the hang of it, I, I can do this. Be prepared to invest a small amount of time to gather the needed data and to learn how to use basic budgeting skills. And to dads who are here, maybe even grandfathers, you want to teach your children this. All my children, before they left my home, knew how to make a budget. We'll cover this a little bit in Parenting 102 in the fall when we offer CBC University again in October. It will be one of the life skills that you want to impart to your children. But when they leave the home at 18, 19, and 20 years old, if you haven't taught them, then who is going to? And unfortunately, many times when... Uh, you know, we require, of course, it's part of the premarital program, as I've told you, is that people take this course. And when it's over, they have to produce a budget, and then they have to meet with someone who evaluates their budget. Because I'm not going to marry them, number one, if they can't prove to me that you can afford her. <laughs> if you can't leave father and mother and cleave to his wife and pay the bills, I'm not going to marry you. Now, if you want to go get married down the street, and some person came to me one day, I, he, he wanted me to renew his vows. I said, why do you want to do that? He said, I just, well, let me tell you what happened, Pastor. My wife and I, we went down into Beaufort County, and we wanted to get married. We got the marriage license, and the lady was on the phone, and she was a notary, and she was talking and talking and talking, and she's kind of looking, and put the stamp on it. Congratulations. And then she went right back to her phone call. <laughs> and that was it. Zero financial counseling, zero premarital counseling. That's why we have a six-month window for people who want to get married here. Now, you know, it's a free world. You can go out and let anybody marry you. Some guys are in the marrying business. Pay them 100 bucks to be glad to marry you. I don't take money for marriages, and two, I don't just marry people. I want to build Christian homes, and that takes time. Where are we? Three. Someone's listening. Thank you. For the first few months, you will spend a couple of hours each month getting your budget down. But after that, it's fairly simple. Just plugging in numbers and doing the third grade math. Literally, it's third grade math. If you can add, subtract, and divide, you can handle the mathematics. If the reason you are not doing a budget is because you don't have the time then your priorities must be out of order and you should probably listen to this section on stewardship over again. If you're too busy to make the management of God's money a higher priority, then how are you using your time? Therefore, be wise, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil, Paul tells the Ephesians. Once you are past the learning curve, giving, paying bills, and saving will become much less stressful and much more efficient. Time spent arguing about priorities, added debt, cash flow, and other issues will become a thing of the past. I mean, couples, what are your three top problems? It's a common question I ask very often, we fight about money. You on a budget? No. They never are. Almost never. But it's a common problem. 
But, you know, again, when you have a budget and you've worked it through, and, and sometimes there is a need for a third party to come in. Your wife says, well, if you want me to feed this family of six on $75 a month, we're going to be eating beans and rice every month. <laughs> you know, it's just not, say, a realistic number. And so uh, that's obviously an exaggeration, but I think you see the point. Um, number seven, oh yeah, eight. You would be amazed at how many grown adults do not make a budget every month because it's quote unquote boring. If you are afraid of boredom, you should be more afraid of unpaid services, credit card bills, collector calls, division in the family, and bankruptcy court. If you're a free-spirited kind of person and can't stand the thought of a budget, then get a friend to help you, and before long, by God's grace, you will have the routine down. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I just need to look to him. Budgeting, third myth, point C, is only for poor people and for those who are in debt. Only for poor people and those who are in debt. While someone in debt may be highly motivated to budget, to get out and stay out of debt, this is far from the sole reason for budgeting. This is far from the only reason to budget. It is true that budgeting can give you a plan to recover from a crisis. And that's where a lot of Americans start when they do their first budget. They're in the midst of a crisis. However, if your current financial situation is well thought through, budgeting can lead you to even wiser stewardship in your giving, saving, investing, and spending. Budgeting is a stewardship tool for everyone who wants to intelligently commit their way to God and to manage his resources more effectively. It's part of being diligent to take heed of what your flocks are like, like we read from Proverbs, or here, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. God says not to lean on your own understanding. He doesn't say not to use it, just don't lean on it. You don't think independently of him. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So if you do not have a lot of income, or if, you are, if your spending is currently beyond your means, budgeting, of course, is imperative. Nevertheless, just because you spend less than you earn does not mean that you should not create a budget. A budget for even a wealthy person requires an honest analysis of spending habits to be able to evaluate personal stewardship and to help to help guards one's heart from conceit. And this is the danger in a rich culture. And of course, by American standards, compared to the rest of the world, as I covered in the opening sessions, the rest of the world would consider everyone in this room rich. But rich is obviously a relative term. But the danger is when God is entrusted much is to forget God it's to become conceited and not to acknowledge him in all that you are doing. And if you have a budget that reflects biblical principles, you really have to take stock of what's going on. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, 
but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. God gives us things to enjoy, so if he's given you something, don't apologize for it. Oh, you know, I know it's a nice tie, but it was on sale, and you know. <laughs> Look, if, if, it, if God didn't want you to have it, it didn't matter if it was on sale or not, right? <laughs> he's given you things to enjoy. Instruct them, though, to be good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of, what, of that which is life indeed. D, another myth, budgeting can be done in one's head. Can be done in one's head. Those who claim to have a budget in their minds simply by keeping track of everything that they spend are usually in debt or are not maximizing their giving, saving, and spending. They're wasting funds. And many times, these people, sometimes at the end of life, they say, you know, I mean, I never had financial problems, but I, I wish maybe I'd put more money over here, or I'd help this family member, and I, I just missed it because I wasn't paying attention. Again, a budget really causes you to evaluate every realm of how the money is being used. In addition, if you are married and doing a budget in your head, then only one person is involved in the decision-making, and that, in most families, is typically a formula for disaster. If, and, and people ask me sometimes, you know, well, my wife is really good with money, and, you know, she likes to do the finances. Is that okay? And I said, well, sure. God's gifted in that way. But you're still the head of the home. And you need to be a team. And you need to work together. And if you've given her as the leader of your home, too many wimpy men in our day. I mean, we've got wimpy men everywhere. It's very sad, and wimpy men in the pulpit even. And we wonder why all these boys are so effeminate. And young women need to see men who are leaders, and young men need to see that in their dads. And so if the wife is managing the budget... And I know there are special exceptions. People are, you know, physically incapacitated, mentally sick, and are unable to function. I'm not talking about those rare exceptions. That woman, that wife, still needs to give an account to her husband. That's really important. In men, if you're running the budget in your head and you're not consulting your wife, then you are doing a dishonor to your home as well because you don't really appreciate that God is your helpmate, your completer, and she has a great deal of wisdom and insight to offer you. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. How can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can, can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Just keeping track of all your expenses is a starting place, but that's not a budget. That's not a budget. If all you do is track your spending, then you are looking at the past, and never planning and looking forward. 
whereas a wise man is to plan for the future. So, you know, there's a retirement crisis that the American public is facing on many levels. As I mentioned to you last week, there's a number of cities that are on the verge of bankruptcy. And some of our civil servants, police, fire, and other people, their, uh, their pension is at stake, and they have to negotiate a pension that they thought they had. There's all kinds of crises that are looming. People who are planning to live on Social Security, the average Social Security recipient in the United States receives $1,000 and some change per month. That's not enough to live on for most people, $12,000 a year, even if everything is paid for. And so if you're just looking behind, oh, yeah, I'm keeping track of everything I'm spending, and you're not thinking ahead, then that's not good either. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself. And by the way, in 15 years, it was announced this week by one reliable source, he says Social Security will be bankrupt, and that the only thing we'll be able to do in 15 years is to cut benefits by 25%. And he said 23%. I don't know. All I know is that you can't spend money you haven't earned, and you need to think not only back but ahead. The prudent man sees the evil, hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. A budget is to be your plan for the upcoming month because you are planning the money you have not spent as of yet. When you keep receipts or use your online banking to see what you spent last month, you're doing just that. You're looking at last month. But you need to look both forward and back. If you are already tracking your spending... The budget is just a natural next step and should be easy for you. It won't be hard for you to get it rolling. E, a strict budget, here's another myth, a strict budget is confining and takes all the fun out of life. Budgeting does not take the fun out of life. In fact, a healthy budget makes life more pleasurable. Proverbs 21.20 says, there is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. If you want to have no fun in life, then just become the lender's slave and always have too much month at the end of the month. Having no fun in life is meeting the Lord Jesus in heaven only to discover that the true riches he wanted to give you and eternal dividends were lost due to your poor stewardship. And again, there's a direct correlation Certainly, any budget will categorize funds for the purpose of planning. But remember, with God's help and leading, you run the budget. The budget does not run you. While the nature of any budget is to designate certain amounts of money for particular spending categories, as God reminds us, life sometimes does not always unfold as we planned. Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. 
But even as life does not go as we planned, we can still give thanks as we're commanded to do. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, that you give thanks in all things, right? While clinging to God's promise of Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are, literally it says the called. It looks like a verb, but it's actually a noun. The King James renders it to those who are the called. It's articular according to his purpose. It's not a wholesale promise to everybody. It's a promise to those who are the called. That is, those who are born again. Those who have been called of God into salvation. That God works everything together for good. Now, some debate, do you have to be actively loving God for this to be true? Well, that's the general principle here. So if you're living in disobedience, you may not see this unfold in the way that God would have wanted to unfold it. But even in disobedience, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And so he somehow even works that thing out for good. While staying within the total budget, sometimes it is necessary to borrow from one category within a given month. For example, if you need to spend more on food one month because of unexpected travel, maybe a, a family member came or friends from out of town, and you, you might transfer some of your money set aside for entertainment to cover the food budget for that month. There may be times at the end of one month when you designate a budgeting excess in one category to be available in the same category the following month to meet some need. Now, I know some of you think, I don't even live here. I don't even know what you're talking about. This is where the average American lives. And when your son or daughter leaves home and they're 22, 23 years of age, this is where they're going to live. People don't start out typically in life wealthy and carefree. They've got to earn and work their way through life, and they have to learn how to manage funds wisely. And we'll see in a moment, this is where most Americans, even in their golden years, are living. You might also use an excess in one category to build your contingency fund. We spoke about that in section two, what a contingency slash emergency fund was. Or maybe to pay sooner than planned a quarterly or annual expense. So if you're running ahead, you think, oh, well, let's get this knocked out. We know that the Beaufort County tax bill is going to be X amount of money. We're going to go ahead and just set this aside, the Beaufort County tax bill. It's not going to come for four months, but it's done. And you're thinking ahead, and you're thinking through quarterly and annual expenses and that kind of thing. Okay, let's talk about three basic approaches to budgeting, three basic approaches to budgeting. First, there's the envelope system. This is really old-fashioned, but actually, if you understand the envelope system, that's what you're doing on a computer or on paper or whatever. The envelope system has been around for decades, and yet many people still don't know exactly how it works. Uh, each category of spending is labeled on the outside of an envelope, tithe, groceries, biannual insurance, electricity, clothing, auto, some that you know, you're going to use weekly, some that are in a monthly pile, some in a quarterly pile, some in an annual pile. As you're paid, you divvy out your paycheck into categories with each category of spending labeled on the outside of each envelope with either a check or the appropriate amount of cash in each envelope. I mean, there's more than one way to do it, but that's just real simple and basic. Cash in the grocery envelope 
can only be used for groceries. So if you take $100 to the store and you tally up your bill, maybe you're, you know, you're really trying to keep this budget and you even have a calculator in the aisle and it comes to $125. Take some things out of the cart and stay in your budget. No money can come out of that envelope except to pay for groceries at the store. Obviously, your family should not go hungry But if after removing luxury and comfort foods, there may be a need to borrow from a non-essential envelope like entertainment to meet this particular need. But again, you're, you're, you're operating within a budget. But as a general rule, when the money runs out of each envelope, do not spend any more until the next month starts and new money goes in there. For some, it can be very tempting to borrow cash from one envelope to fund some activity. For example, you don't borrow out of your car insurance envelope to fund your entertainment envelope. If you see some envelope quickly diminishing, then cut costs, sacrifice, and ask God. See, we don't ask God about these things anymore. We just do what we do, and we put it on a credit card, and the average American is running uh, seven, what I told you, 70-some percent, $8,000 revolving balance every month. See, we don't really pray about these things anymore because we're doing it the world's way. So we ask God for discipline so that you can live within your means. If you have a crisis come up in the middle of the month and you absolutely have no other choice but to shift envelope funds around, then call an emergency budget committee meeting with your spouse and ask God to give you wisdom for the best course of action. That's what James 1 is talking about. If any of you lacks wisdom, that particular promise in James 1.5 is in the context, consider it all joy, my brethren, not if, but when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's, it's, it's in the context of having a trial that we are to ask for wisdom. So a trial comes and, whoo, what do we do, Lord? You consult God. You ask Him for help. You want to be in agreement as husband and wife. It's a shared discussion with the final decision being left to, with the husband. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, <clears throat> he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I know that more than likely, the majority of people taking this course are in consumer debt that needs to be erased, and we defined consumer debt, household debt, different kinds of debt earlier in the course, an emergency account that needs to be established, and a monthly budget that is balanced. Usually the majority, more than half, every time I teach this course, they're either in consumer debt, they have no emergency fund, Um, no budget that is being balanced. You have unnecessary debt because you have lived above your means. And so now with God's help, you may need to live below your means. You've got to spend less if you're going to get out of debt. You spent money you hadn't earned yet, so you have to make some hard decisions. In addition, some of you have no consumer debt. Consumer debt, we talked about the different categories of that. But you have a mortgage, and you must ask, how long do you want to have that mortgage? You want to have a mortgage at 70? I don't know. Maybe you do. I don't. 
You want to have a mortgage? <laughs> I don't think most of us do. But here's some shocking statistics. More and more Americans are carrying debt into their golden years. Over 70% of U.S. seniors, 65 to 74, carry some level of debt, which is up from almost 52% in 1998, according to a recent study, 2019 January published study, Employee Benefit Research Institute. That's a nonpartisan, nonprofit research group in D.C. You will often see them appear before the Congress when they are drilled on financial issues in the country. Excellent, excellent information, whatever they put out. I've never seen anything that wasn't helpful and accurate. In families headed by people ages 55 to 64, over 77% have debt. And in families headed by seniors 75 and older, almost 50% have debt. The average amount of debt carried by families with heads ages 55 to 64 is $108,011, with the majority of it being comprised of housing debt. So household debt is a term, of course, that we looked at earlier that encompasses both consumer debt and housing. At least the majority of that is housing. But still, uh, among those having debt with the family heads being 75 and older, they owe an average of $36,757. And for those families headed by someone 65 to 74, they owe an average of $65,686. Now, you would think for a believer in Jesus Christ that when you're 65, 70 years old, you don't have any debt. Because you've managed your money well your whole life. But unfortunately, that's not true of the average American anymore. Because we're living the world's ways and not really God's ways. Budgeting allows you first to tackle your consumer debt and then your mortgage debt so that your lifestyle is not modeled after the average American so you do not have to have the same debt problems. Paul warns us, admonishes us, do not be conformed to this world, but be metamorpho, transform. We got our word metamorphosis from it. You know that process with the caterpillar. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. When you hit a bump in the budget, don't get discouraged, but continue to pray and ask God for, to help you. You will find the better you get at budgeting and paying off debt, the more capable you will be in making adjustments to cover small and large emergencies, non-planned, unbudgeted expenses. When you have your emergency fund in place, which I suggested you do in Section 2 before you begin debt repayment, you can quickly cover minor emergencies by adjusting your different categories. So. Again, there, it may be real small, your emergency fund to start, and I gave some minimums and maxes in that section. But if you have that, and you know the, the transmission goes out this week in your car, and it's $2,100 to fix it, then you can go potentially to your emergency fund and pay cash for that item. I'm not saying you don't use a credit card, but the money's there, so you pay the credit card in full, 
and you don't have to borrow money and go into debt. So, <clears throat> how, um, so let's see, what number am I on? 23? 23, yeah. You will often be able to cover small emergencies by trimming no more than 10% out of a given budget category. So you might say, well, this is a small, unexpected $300 debt. And we saw that 25% of Americans cannot handle a $400 unexpected debt, according to the government that came out in January. But you think, oh, well, I, we can adjust this category over here, and we'll sacrifice over here a little bit, and, and we can get this thing covered. However, if a small emergency expense can only be met by cutting more than 10% off of your line items, then it's probably time to head to the emergency fund. In other words, I'm saying if you don't have to go there, don't go there. After this fund is used, you need to budget to replenish it. So that now becomes a fund. We had to spend, you know, 1800 bucks on the transmission. We wiped out the emergency fund, so now we need to replenish that fund. So there's the envelope system. But if you actually understand the envelope system, it's basic accounting. You're thinking sectionally. And that's all a computer does. It does the same thing electronically, or you do it on paper. So if you understand the principles behind the envelope system, then you understand the next two ways to do it. The traditional paper budget, most all of the principles above apply, the only exception being that instead of tracking your expenses in envelopes, you do so on, now on paper. Levels of organization and layout often vary due to personality and time allotted to the process. <laughs> when, my, when my son was at GM, um, there was this guy who worked in this one department for like 30-some years, and he had these massive spreadsheets, and he was using, you know, 12-column accounting paper, which is how I learned when I was trained in accounting, and people hadn't been using that in a couple decades. He was just doing this old system and whatever. And so he retired, and they gave him a big party, and Jordan was over this one section. And they said, well, Jordan, what are we going to do with, you know, Fred now that Fred's gone? And he said, oh, we'll figure it out. And what that guy spent all week doing, my son figured out how they could do it in one hour. One hour. <laughs> you talk about wasted money in an organization. It was pathetic. Um, but uh, what it reflected, what made me think about that is sometimes like some people just love this stuff and they want to make charts and all this stuff. And if you do, and it's like a hobby for you, fantastic, go for it. But it doesn't have to be complicated. So I say that your personality sometimes reflects the amount of time that you dedicate to it. The most important principle to remember in constructing a traditional paper budget is that you should do what works for you, not necessarily what works for someone else. Many samples and styles of free home budget templates can be viewed and downloaded from the Internet. Won't cost you time. Then there's the electronic budget. I used to say the computer budget, now I say the electronic budget. There is a multiplicity of software budgets available on the internet, some for free, with others usually ranging from $10 to $50. The ones you actually pay like $39, $40 bucks for are usually better than the freebies. Keep in mind that many reviews are often done by those individuals who are either being paid to promote the software or who wrote the software. So ask friends and look for independent reviews. 
Some of the computer software now interfaces with a like phone app or a tablet so that you can keep your records updated on the go. Perhaps um, some of the more popular desktop, phone app, and tablet versions include Quicken, Ace Money, Money Dance, Common Sense, and YNAB. Capital Y, Capital N, Capital A, Capital B. You need a budget. YNAB, right? All right. If you purchase computer software or an app, make sure it's compatible to your hardware, and please don't go into debt to make this happen. When I first started teaching this course in the 90s, first edition was 1992, um, one guy went out and he bought like a $2,500 computer. And he was already in mega debt, you know? He's just like, oh man, that's not what I wanted you to do. So now computers are pretty cheap. We're almost done. We'll turn the page. Oh, where are we? Yeah, the electronic budget. Yeah, okay. Five, if you purchase computer software and app, make sure it's compatible. Um, constructing a budget. A budget uh, based on a budget budget based on whether your income is steady or fluctuating. Base your budget. Sorry. I didn't finish this until uh, 3.30 today, and I was up pretty late last night. Base your budget on whether your income is steady or fluctuating. So obviously there are people who have highs and lows because of the kind of work that they have. Maybe they work commission, and they know maybe sales in this section of the year is going to produce 30% higher than at other times of the year. Well, you take averages, and two, when things are running well and you're living high, make sure that during those plush months, you are taking that pay, and you're dedicating it to those quarterly and yearly kind of expenses so you're not caught off guard. Um, that's a little more challenging in making a budget, but not impossible. A lot, of, a lot of folks have a fluctuating income. Categorize your outflows into giving, saving, and spending. Again, that's what we saw in the opening session that you do with your money. You either give it, save it, or spend it. You give your tithe to God. You give your tax to Caesar. Turn the page. And then you delegate the rest of your expendable income you delegate the rest of your expendable income. Most software budgets or internet sites will give reasonable percentages that can be helpful guidelines in evaluating what you are currently spending and should possibly be spending. So these are typical categories, housing 35%, food 10 clothing, so forth. Uh, and again, if that would help you to get started, you might want to reference some of those internet sites. Budget for annual, biannual, quarterly, and monthly expenses. Begin by tracking your weekly and ongoing expenses from past records. So if you have some kind of a paper trail, that will help you as you get started. Expenses are tracked by credit card, written checks, or cash receipts. If you are new to budgeting, some items are easy to track. Most people know what their fixed housing expenses are, like rent, a mortgage, utilities, and insurance, while their non-fixed expenses are only as accurate as their record-keeping. So it can take some time as you get started if you haven't kept any kind of records. Track every living expense for a month and then begin to sort each expense into different budgeting categories. Now it may take three to six months 
to adjust your budget. So that's, don't, don't be discouraged. It just takes a little time to get the ball rolling here. Your expenses may vary from one month to the next, which is why it will take some time to stabilize your budget. A gift budget might be high in December, while the car budget might spike in the months when you have to renew the tags and pay insurance and property tax. Once you have the income and outgo calculated, do not be shocked or worried if they do not balance each other out because most Americans are spending more than they take in. This will require you to bring some of your numbers up and others of the numbers down. If you spend more than you make, then you need to make some cuts in order to make your income and outgo equal. You will need to reduce expenses, sell assets maybe, possibly generate additional income through a second job. Talking about dad, not neglecting the kids. Finally, teach your children in the process and consider finding someone who will evaluate your budget. Again, as I mentioned to you, we have people in this church that will help you. And I need more people. But we have people in the church who will help you, but you have to do the whole course. You have to try to come up with a budget and then set the meeting. And all you have to do is call the office and we'll set you up accordingly. All right? So, money. It can be a blessing or a curse. It can be a headache, or we can just be good stewards of what God's entrusted. And if we do it His way, it really, truly works. It does. And the average American is no longer falling under the Christian principles of decades and centuries earlier. And so the finances of the average family is not good. But we can change. That's what the gospel is all about. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, your word you said is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I know, Father, there are many here because they've already come up and told me in the course of these few months whose financial picture is really a mess. And I'm sure many more who need to be here and just can't be for one reason or another. But I thank you for your grace that you meet us where we are. That when there's failure and we acknowledge our, our ways as being displeasing to you and we confess our sins, that you are faithful and you are righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us. So help us to begin where we need to begin. Lord Jesus, you said if we're not faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, that you will not entrust really true eternal riches to us. And Father, I certainly don't want to meet you in heaven and find out that I could have invested so much more and been used in a greater way for your honor and glory because I mishandled 10 cents. So help us to be wise. Thank you tonight that we can come to a throne of grace to find help in time of need. We are grateful for the safety that you provided through the mission trips this summer and the opportunity to hear them on the next few Wednesday nights. 
Thank you for, in some places, thousands who were exposed to the gospel because of the efforts that were made. Thank you for the summer program that Randy and Evelyn so carefully crafted and have worked on so hard this summer. And we pray in the final weeks that you would encourage those who have filled in for the regular choir workers and, and just bless them for their effort. We think of the re-engage ministry that gives folks an opportunity to, to get on board this month. We, we pray, our Father, that that marriage ministry would be used of you again, that your hand would be over it, and that you would bless it. Thank you for the hundreds of children that you have entrusted to us with upward sports. We ask that you would fill in the need for the few more coaches and refs and other servants that we need for the full mission that you've given us. Thank you, our Father. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.